0: Welcome to the Doctor's Hospital podcast. I am your host, Alexis Burrows, Brand Manager at Doctor's Hospital. Today, we have as a guest on the podcast, Dr. Jazriel Thompson. She's an anesthesiologist here at Doctors Hospital. And she's here for the first part of a two-part series of episodes on pain management. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Thompson.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Okay, so pain management is something that is... Um, maybe more prevalent, or pain, I should say, is probably something that's more prevalent in and around um, our environment and our culture than people may realize. So uh, we just want to kind of you know, go through and talk about what pain is, um, the differences between some of the different types of pain, and then some of the treatment options, um, and maybe some of the questions that even from a local perspective, Bahamians may have in and around the concept of pain and the treatment of pain. Um, so to start off with, From your perspective um, as a physician, as an anesthesiologist, what is pain?
1: So we describe pain as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage. So basically pain is a symptom of an underlying condition. It's a warning signal from your body that something could be wrong. It's kind of like the lights going on in your car when the gas level or oil level is low. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone has a a perception of pain but usually you have an understanding of you know how your body feels when it's not under stress when you're fine and you're comfortable and pain is usually this just sudden uh feeling of just unpleasant emotional experience
0: okay so what would you say is the difference between um something that may be like a short-term pain um or someone who may be diagnosed let's say with chronic pain what is the difference between the two
1: so acute pain is usually something that comes on suddenly, and it's usually due to a clearly defined injury or illness. Uh, acute pain usually resolves with the healing of the underlying cause. Um, for example, abdominal pain. You can have many causes for that, either an obstruction, mm-hmm. perforation, distension, masses, kidney stones, and usually after treatment of those conditions, that acute pain goes away. However, many times pain does not go away after an injury or Um, If healing has not occurred, and that's what we call chronic pain. Chronic pain uh, is usually pain that has been present for at least more than three months. And Mm. again, it can have different causes. Um, Sometimes the pain uh, from the acute pain has not resolved or it doesn't heal properly. Or, for example, arthritis, which is a long-term inflammation and damage to the joints, Mm. uh, may cause pain because it's going to hurt as long as the inflammation there, and it's usually something that's not easily reversible. Um, so chronic pain occurs sometimes despite healing uh, with no obvious injury to choose. Um, other types of chronic pain can be due to, like you said, degenerative and age-related changes that are not life-threatening, um, but they do cause a significant impairment in the quality of life of a person due to discomfort, inability to perform activities of daily living, poor sleep, and other associated symptoms. So sometimes it's a result of damage to the nerves that transmit the pain, such as in neuropathic pain, or it could be chronic pain from other causes. Um, either way, um, we recommend patients get, uh, be seen um, if you have any signs of acute severe pain. And Pain management usually refers to the treatment of chronic pain, something that's been going on for more than three months doesn't seem to be getting better and is definitely affecting the quality of your life.
0: Okay. So I wouldn't necessarily come to see you if I buck my toe on my on my bed.
1: No, no. Usually <laughs> as is, unless that's an acute injury, um, it's due to some damage or you know, an acute reaction, you can take the it off and it goes away. So yes, we're trying to avoid unnecessary um visits to the doctor.
0: Right. Especially in this environment. Okay, so uh, we know that you know in our in our culture, um, and maybe this is true in other cultures around the world as well. But I know particularly here, um, and sometimes particularly in the older generation, people will say, "Oh, well, you know, I have a, a little ache or a little pain," um, and in their mind, it's something that they consider normal and doesn't require treatment. Is that something where you know if if this little ache, like you said, has been lingering for more than you know a couple of days, a couple of months, you know, is it could it be true that that that's just something that you don't have to worry about? It doesn't require treatment, and and, and treatment wouldn't help.
1: Um, so possibly, you know, we if people may be familiar with the term growing pains um, in children in their legs for unknown causes. People just sometimes to say, oh, man, you know, I just have this pain. It calms on and it goes away with no um, treatment necessary. Um, sometimes, you know, you can have abdominal pain. That's just due to indigestion. And you, you know, settle down, take some tea, take some peppermint, and that goes away. Um, and definitely there are some headaches um, that can be infrequent and of no significance. So, yes, there are definitely some types of pain that um, could be, you know, minimal. And do not do not require treatment. Um, but however, it's very important that we recognize red flags associated with pain. So certain red fly, certain red flags that you may be having that are associated with pain that I would say you know don't ignore would be you know any pain that's associated with a huge injury. We talked about bucking your toe, but you know if someone were climbing a tree and they fell out the tree and now they're feeling a lot of pain. You know, there's always a potential for big damage or uh, injury, either through the bones or internal organs. So, you know, things like that should not be ignored. Um, if you ever have other associated symptoms, such as a fever, loss of appetite, limping, difficulty walking a rash, any, t- any sign of red or warm or painful swollen joints, that's type, probably a type of pain that um, should be evaluated, as well as something such as tiredness, weakness or weight loss. Um, So, again, it depends on the type of pain that you're having, where the pain is in your body, what was the situation, what occurred when this pain started, Um, what is the context, basically. And that would say, you know, should this be ignored or should this be evaluated? Now, most commonly in the population, especially with chronic pain management, we're concerned about back pain. And certainly back Mm -hmm. pain can be something that is acute, Um, comes on suddenly, maybe you have sat in a weird position, maybe you lifted something. Um, And you put a strain on the muscles so you can get like an acute inflammation in your back. But you can also have chronic back pain. Again, back pain that, you know, goes on for more than three months and it's not getting any better. It's actually getting worse. Um, And there's also red flags with back pain that we are really concerned about, such as altered sensations in the legs, the buttocks, inner thighs, if you have any kind of problems of, a, of a abnormal feeling, and we call these saddle areas, so the area around your groin or your bottom. And if you've got any change in your bowel or, bowel or bladder habits, as well as any acute sexual dysfunction, those are sometimes some of the symptoms or red flags associated with pain that can alert you that this is not something to ignore. Now, I talk about back pain, and, um, you know, back pain can be very common, and it could also be very benign. Again, something that just may require resting or just all. and there's a very good screening tool for back pain that primary care doctors can use, and basically it tries to identify some symptoms that can tell you whether this back pain is of low risk, such as, you know, usually with rest or exercise, it may go away or whether there's some medium risk or high risk from this back pain. And I just want to give you some of the questions involved. Um, so our readers who are listening, uh, um, I mean, our audience who's listening might be able to ask themselves and decide, okay, I've been having this back pain for a while. You know, Is this something that's likely to go away or not? Um, and this is from a validated screening tool developed by Keele University and it's widely available. It's called the Start Back Screening Tool. So some of the questions include, Uh, My back pain has spread down my legs at some time in the last two weeks, and it's basically yes or no. Um, I've had pain in the shoulder or neck at some time. Um, I've only walked a short distance because of my back pain. Um, Also, in the last two weeks, I've dressed more slowly than usual because of the back pain. Um, And the next question says, it's not really safe for a person with a condition like mine to be physically active. And that's like a personal assessment. That's your subjective feeling. Like, I've noticed that something's changed or something's different about my body and my habits. And then there's worrying thoughts have been going through my mind for a lot of the time about this pain. And then I feel that my back pain is terrible. It's never going to get any better. And lastly, in general, I have not enjoyed all the things I used to enjoy. So those, this is a screening tool, like I said, and it can help to let us know because I, uh, as a physician, you know, history is very important in terms of determining what your pain is and how severe it is. But it's the patient themselves that has to decide, you know, you know, I've been ignoring this or these are some of the key things that I realized. And um, sometimes you need prompting and you need encouragement and you need support from your doctor to let you know that, you know, this is not something to ignore. This is something to be evaluated and this is the next step that's gonna that's
0: gonna be done. Right. So, uh, 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 I guess a follow up question to um, the idea of you know the little ache or little pain um, would I, I imagine that age as well as the existence of you know other um, comorbidities. There's you know if somebody has hypertension or diabetes or heart condition or things like that. Um, will also play a role in how you evaluate whether something is um, minor and doesn't require treatment or if it does, correct?
1: Correct. So some of the things you've mentioned, correct, um, age, because we talk about degenerative changes that can occur, such as arthritis, or it's just arthritis usually involves um, your bones or the, uh, uh, the linings on the bones, Um, But there's also muscles and ligaments that can have age-related changes and cause um, problems. Um, I would also consider conditions such as diabetes, which can affect your nerve and and pain, pain transmission through the nerves. Obesity, so elevated BMI, we know can cause significant strain on the back and also the mechanics and how you weight bear and cause problems. As well as chronic conditions, including cancer. So, if you have a history of cancer um, and you're now developing pain in a certain area or a certain place, your pain could be related to your cancer. So, definitely there are different criteria or there are different uh, things that might put a person at higher risk for having a serious type of back pain that may require treatment and intervention as opposed to, you know, a person without those conditions.
0: Mm -hmm. So, I know another... um common concern because you have, you know, a lot of different types of people um, that walk into your office. So I imagine uh, you have people who may be um, weary of taking, you know, strong medication. You may also have people who are weary of getting surgery. So are there, I guess, what are, are, are some of the treatment options that are available to somebody if they are experiencing chronic back pain or chronic pain in general? So we have
1: multiple treatments available. I always feel like the first treatment or the first um, the first step in giving you the best treatment for your, for your pain in general is knowing exactly what it is. So, you know, that's it's very important to take a history, to do an examination, and also possibly do imaging tests as necessary, blood tests or imaging tests, to determine the cause of your pain. So my, my, in my practice, the best way I want to start by treating your pain is diagnosing exactly what it is. Um, And, yes, we talk about medications. So people are commonly referred to um, opioids as a treatment for pain. And, you know, nowadays opioids are going through a really tough time. You know, they're getting a bad rap. Um, But I'd like to talk about opioids and what they do and how we can use them. Um, And just bear in mind that opioids are synthetic. So they're designed designed in a lab, but they actually mimic Um, some of the natural substances in the body because there are things called opioid receptors in your nervous system and they are responsible for modulating pain transmission and receptors. So the opioids that we take in the tablet form or the IV form actually work on these receptors and they basically try to stop the transmission of pain. They're very good drugs. They work very well. Um, But unfortunately, there's an opioid crisis that's occurring because of the misuse or of opioids. Um, obviously, in life, everything has a good side and a bad side. And we know with opioid use, there can be some side effects, such as sleepiness, constipation, nausea, shallow breathing, slowed heart rate, and loss of consciousness. So I just want to say, you know, if you have an acute pain, if you had an acute surgery, um, and even for some chronic pain, opioids may be, the answer for you to help you through this pain and to get you from that acute state of feeling like I'm about to die, I can't take this anymore, to I'm better, I can cope with this, this is okay. Um, however, these have to be carefully prescribed and taken in consultation with a doctor. Right. Decisions to so whether you how you take opioids are based on your previous history of taking opioids, um, your um biological factors such as your weight the type of pain you have and these all help us to guide to say what is the correct dose that's not going to produce excess side effects that can be dangerous but it's going to provide the benefit that we're hoping for so that's my story about opioids they are very good drugs if used correctly and carefully um by patients now opioids may not be the answer. And some people are completely saying, I would like to do anything except take an opioid. So opioids, just to give you some common names, can be Percocet, morphine, fentanyl. Those are things, those are drugs that we call opioids. There are many non-opioid drugs that we can use for pain management. And some of them include common medications that can be purchased in the pharmacy without a prescription. They include Panadol, Motrin, um, some steroids, um, and also we have what we call neuropathic drugs anti-electric drugs antidepressant drugs so there the pain pathways in the body is very diverse and complex it's not just a one single road and usually with chronic pain management we act we try to um, provide a multimodal therapy which means we attack your pain from multiple act, uh, pathways to try to provide you the best relief of the pain now if you want to talk about Complete other options for pain management, which do not include medications. You know, there are also many avenues as well. Physical therapy. Um, With a physical therapist, they can help you to create an exercise program to improve your ability and function and decrease your pain. So, you know, that's definitely a part of our program that we like to offer for the pain management. Um, After you've gotten some medication that actually helps to take the edge off your pain, We know that exercise therapy helps in the long term in terms of decreasing your pain and preventing it from coming back. There's also things like acupuncture that's definitely been proven to help Mm. with pain. And that's the use of very thin needles inserted at different places in your skin to interrupt the pain signals. Um, And um, in worst case scenarios, surgery may be necessary. If there is a a a definite and source on obstruction or cause, you know, nerve impingement for your pain, um, and then there's also something called injections and nerve blocks. So you know, we'll talk about other things um, such as spinal cords and stimulators, which are kind of complex. They're they're usually the end of the line treatment for. Pain that's not responding to medication, not responding to injections. And it's basically um in a simplified form, it's like a pacemaker of your spine. So people may be familiar with the pacemaker that acts into your heart to help Mm -hmm. regulate your heart function. There's also a little device that can be implanted in your spine that can help to try and modulate the pain signals um, as it travels in the nervous system.
0: Okay. Um so you you've mentioned a lot of the different treatment options, and I think now might be a good time to ask the question just in terms of, because people may think about pain and pain management and just have the question, where would an anesthesiologist fit into this entire spectrum of treatment options and just the treatment of pain in general?
1: Oh, great question. So like I said, pain is debilitating and frustrating. Um, it can interfere with your sleep, your work, your activities, and any kind of pleasure you have in your life. So, an an anesthesiologist's job is to help to provide pain management which helps to return your patient back to the optimal function. Um, Anesthesiologists are specialists in pain management because we understand the physiology of pain. We know how to evaluate patients with complicated pain syndromes. We know how to um, interpret and order tests that can help to get to that diagnosis of what your pain is. And we also have special skills for different procedures such as a nerve block, an epidural, spinal, an epidural steroid injection,
0: and mm-hmm.
1: other techniques which can help in pain management. So um, I just want to talk about the epidural steroid injection, which is a very common um, treatment tool used for back pain, and it's done by anesthesiologists. Um, and usually it's done in a stepwise fashion, so if someone comes in and they describe the pain that's radiating to the leg that has um um it occurs at different times in the different positions we might have a suspicion for uh neuropathic pain our next step is usually to um after a while if if the patient is not getting any relief from medications we would recommend some imaging such as an mri and the mri is a very good tool that helps us to visualize your spinal cord and the nerves and the disc in between the bones and see if there's any kind of impingement of those nerves by the disc. And we call that disc herniation. Patients can also have a stenosis of the spinal cord, which is like a narrowing. And because in your back, those spaces are so tight, just small changes can cause big symptoms in terms of your pain. Um, so if necessary, and if we decide that, you know, you have nerve impingement, we would offer you an epidural steroid injection, and um, people may commonly know steroids to be anti inflammatory agents. So, basically, with the use of imaging, we are able to put medication directly in your back at the area where this nerve is being pressed on or impinged, and it helps to reduce the inflammation around that area. Um, it's not a magic bullet, it doesn't feel, you don't feel the effects immediately, but over time, less than one, at least within One to two weeks, you will notice that the pain threshold, the pain level that you've been feeling, comes down. Um, And after that happens, we definitely then recommend you go on to some physiotherapy. And the exercises that the physiotherapist will do will help to sustain that relief that you've gotten from your epidural. And for some patients, that's all that's necessary. They usually say, Wow, that's you know, my pain has gone down, I'm back to my normal self, I have no change in uh, my activities, I'm able to do everything I want to do. And that's all it is. So that's one of the options as anesthesiologists that we do to help patients um, with back pain. And there's other different types of nerve injections in other parts of the body that may be indicated in patients depending on the type of pain you have.
0: Okay. So now it's it's. – I'm hard-pressed to not bring up the, the question about um, – Bush medicine, because obviously in our um, in our culture, that's something that people have been doing for years on years on years. So, is there a place for bush medicine in the treatment of pain um, from your perspective as a physician?
1: <sighs> that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, I grew up in bush medicine. I, you know, if you have a cold or you have a flu. Your grandma is going to tell you go to the tree, go to the fence and get some sericea and boil that. Um, and definitely growing up on the islands, many people had no option of pharmacies and doctors. I'd say they were obligated, um, for a better word, to find local treatments and remedies for pain management. Um, I did some research and acting around. And, you know, there's something called the buttonwood, that tree that people mm-hmm. used to boil, a rock bush tree, excuse me that people used to use for things like abdominal pain. Um, Unfortunately, uh, I don't think in the Bahamas or even the Caribbean, we've done a great job at studying and quantitatively figuring out exactly which medications can be reliably used time and time again to treat pain. So at the present time, I'm not able to recommend certain or specific bush medications for Mm -hmm. pain. But we know widely in the literature, people recommend the willow bark, clove oil, turmeric, magnesium. Um, and I know that a lot of people would prefer natural and traditional medications um, for their pain. Uh, mm-hmm. But at this time, we're kind of limited in the options that we have for people.
0: Okay. Um and obviously, you can't bring up Bush Medicine without then taking the next natural step, is which is asking about um, CBD oils um, and medicinal marijuana as potential treatments for pain. Now, this is kind of a two-part question because I'm personally not sure where we are legally with it. Um, and then secondarily, if it is something that is a legal option, then where does that fit in um, from your perspective as potential treatment options for pain?
1: Yes, very good question. It's very common question that most patients are going to the doctors asking about now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with you. From what I understand, there was a commission that set out to identify what should steps should be taken legally to, in terms of marijuana. Um, the recommendations have not uh, been presented to Parliament, as I'm as far as I'm aware. And at present, I am not aware aware of any legislation that's been presented. Um, with relation to marijuana. Now we have to be we have to clarify exactly what it is because people are online there's information there's tons of information on the internet. Mm-hmm. all right um, when people talk about medical marijuana. So basically um, I'm just going to give you some specific information so that our listeners can know exactly uh, what is out there about marijuana and then obviously make the decision for themselves as to whether they would like to incorporate it as a part of their pain management. Um, so, marijuana is made from the dried flowers of the cannabis plant. The cannabis plant has many different chemicals in it, um, over a hundred different compounds. One of them is cannab- cannabinoid oil, and one is the oil, which is THC. Mm-hmm. Now, again, there's other different compounds, but these are the two most important compounds that have been extracted um, for use. So THC is usually the psychoactive component that produces a mind-altering high. Um, however, the cannabinoid oil does not cause a an high. And the research that's been done on the cannabinoid oil has been shown that it does act intrinsically, just like an opioid receptor in the body. There is an endogenous cannabinoid system where which these chemicals act on to health and pain management. So yes, there have been studies done with the CBD. That shows that it can help with pain management um, however the problem with the CBD right now even though there have been studies specifically on that chemical usually if you're trying to prove that something has a benefit it has to be compared to something and um, to date there are no large studies that have compared the CBD to other uh, properties such as opioids so um, the recommendations from the medical community at present are not um, uh, not proposing CBD as a panacea, uh, which most people want it to be. Um, they use it for arthritis. They use it for back pain. Um, they want to use it for abdominal pain. Um, they want to use it for depression. So people are purporting that it has multiple effects, which it may do. But as scientists, we'd like to have the proof. We'd like to have the trials. We'd like to know what dose is it producing these uh, effects in. What is a safe dose? What is the unsafe dose? How do we make this so that, you know, we're not just giving people something that um, we think is all good when we know intrinsically that everything can be good and bad, okay? So, um, like I said, we need much more research into the potential benefits of the cannabinoids. Um, but, you know, if you were to use it, most doctors are using it as a second line or refractory treatment. And this means that after known treatments are not working, especially for specific conditions such as mm-hmm. multiple, multiple sclerosis, um, epilepsy, uh, things such as end of life pain, chemotherapy, mm-hmm. use nausea and vomiting and spasticity in multiple sclerosis. Those are some of the common conditions that people are finding benefits for if they use it. So um, as it stands, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that, that medical marijuana or cannabinoids are going to become a first-line therapy for pain management for patients in the Bahamas. Um, you know, it's legal in Canada. It's legal in a lot of states in the United States, and people are using it safely. Um, but the problem is regulation. And knowing exactly that when you take a certain um, product, which there are many, you know, there are many thousands of products with the cannabinoid available, but how do you know to prescribe it so that you get the result that you're hoping, you know, without the side effects? So, that's Mm my with the cannabis um, and medical marijuana.
0: Okay. Um, And great answer. I think it's very thorough in kind of just saying where we are right now, um, both from a legal perspective and from a medical perspective. Um, so just, I know I imagine a lot of these questions and maybe even a a ton more questions may be, um, our listeners may have a ton more similar questions. Um, how can people get in contact with you to get more information or to even arrange a a consultation to discuss, um, pain management with you?
1: Um, so my office is at doctor's hospital in the specialist clinic. The phone number is 302-4684. I can also be reached at email via J Thompson at doctorshots.com. That's J T H O M P S O N at doctors D-O-C T-O-R-S-H-O-S P dot
0: Okay. Um, well, I wanna thank you very much for your time. Um, Dr. Thompson, thank you for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to to sit with us. Um, this is definitely a, a wealth of information. Um, kind of just going through the different kinds of pain, the different treatment options, and some of the more, you know, specific questions that people may have, especially in our space. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Alexis. I appreciate the time, and being able to inform people about pain management and the options we have for you. And I would like to encourage anybody who's out there to listening um, to come and see us, see if we can help you and see what options we can offer you for your chronic pain management. All
0: right. Thank you very much, Dr. Thompson. You enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again to Dr. Jazriel Thompson for joining today's podcast. As always, we encourage you to like, comment, subscribe, and share the Doctors Hospital podcast. And we invite you to tune in next week when you'll have part two of our pain management series with our neurosurgeon and spine surgeon, Dr. Sushil Wadva. Thank you for listening and see you next week.